1119. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. Mm -hmm. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Hmm. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Hmm. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, Hmm. where she might be taken care of Hmm. for 1,260 days. Mm -hmm. Then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Mm. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Mm-hmm. Therefore rejoice, yes. heavens, and you yes. who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Mm-hmm. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had, been, who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, Mm. out of the serpent's reach. Mm. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. Mm. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman mm. and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, mm-hmm. those who keep God's command and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Thanks be to God. It is not to be assu- assumed that Mother's Day is simply a day of celebration. There are those with empty hands and longing hearts today dreading what the reality of this day means for them in light of their present reality. They have no child to hold or no mother to celebrate. 
And it is also not to be disregarded that today is a very happy day indeed. Mothers and grandmothers to celebrate, children to hold, wombs carrying life. And today as the family of God, we have the opportunity to take our place in the middle of the beautiful and the brutal. We don't ignore this day or try to change what it is by removing the M from mother and calling it Other's Day or calling it Birthing People's Day. We don't invalidate this day because not all of us are mothers and not all of us get to have that desire fulfilled. We remember that a woman carrying a baby and giving life to a child is part of the cultural mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. We remember that children are a gift from God. And we remember that gifts are not to be cherished or desired above the gift giver himself. We remember that we live in the already not yet, where we will experience the fullness and the fragments of these truths we remember today. And today we get to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We get to enter into people's fullness or fragmentedness. And we do it as peacemakers. And we do it as people of love. And so it is with this understanding that I say happy Mother's Day to us all. I'm so honored to get to be with each and every one of you today. And to get to tell the story about a mother, a dragon, and a cosmic war. The war behind all wars that was one in the heavens through an event on earth, a child. We are a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. We pursue the Romans 12 ideal and we live under the common narrative, the kingdom has come, and the common ethics of abiding with zealous devotion, serving with sincere love, and remembering with humble peacemaking. This is who we are. And we're continuing our way through the book of Revelation as we remember the Lamb, the way of peace that destroys evil, redeems the world, and calls us to reign with him. The Lamb brings perfect justice over and against evil in both the seen and unseen realms. The way of the lamb has implications for the way that we live here today on earth in our society, the way that we relate to one another and how we deal with the injustices that we see on the earth. And so our hope for this series, I want to remind us, we've been saying this throughout, but our hope is that our eyes would be open to the spiritual realities of injustice. Secondly, that we would come to see and know Jesus' righteousness that sets all things right. And that lastly, we would step into our call as peacemakers and live in the way of peace. Now, Revelation 12 is really important. It's actually the theological center of the book of Revelation. Okay? Now, it deals with the war, as I mentioned, the war of all wars, the cosmic war. This war began in heaven, but it was one on earth. Remember, things are not always as they seem. You might remember this slide 
from last year. Um, for John, as it must be for all of us in this room today and for the church at large, heaven and earth are these overlapping dimensions. They're related and they're connected and they're each affecting the other. Mel beautifully illustrated this for us last year in her teaching on the gospel of the kingdom. And this is her beautiful slide. This is um, a present reality and a future fullness. Okay, a present reality and a future fullness. Normally, we experience something happening in the heavenly realms that has implications on the earth. But in Revelation 12, what we see is that an earthly event brought a heavenly victory. And it was all because a woman gave birth to a child. And so we're going to dive deeper into this shortly. But we're going to step back a bit and started at Revelation eleven nineteen, where we see the Ark of the Covenant. And it said, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of his Covenant. Now, the verb opened is a really key word in the book of Revelation. You're going to see that John has four statements where he is saying that he is seeing something, okay? And I'm going to give you those four statements if you just want to write them down. They're really important to mark as you're really uh, trying to understand the totality of Revelation and how it's divided up. It's divided up through these four statements of John seeing something and it being opened. The first one is in Revelation 4.1, which we've already talked through. And then a Reve Revelation 11.19, so where we are today. Revelation 15.5, and then lastly, 19.11, okay? So these four statements occur, and they are statements where John is telling us that he is seeing something opened up. So let's go to um, Revelation 4.1. I'm just going to read that to us. We've already been in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, all that. But I'm going to take us back there because there's some beautiful, beautiful parallels of what we're going to see that started in chapter 4 that we're going to see paralleled now in chapter 11. And so Revelation 4.1, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And so what we see is that John is taken into the throne room, he sees Jesus as the lamb, and he hears pills of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. We see that in chapter 8, verse 5. Okay, now we're in Revelation eleven nineteen, and it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened. So now it's not a door in heaven that's opened. The temple in heaven has been opened. And when John steps into the temple, he sees the Ark of the Covenant. And he sees Jesus, not as a lamb, but as a child. And he hears lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a hailstorm. Do you see these parallels that gives us a glimpse into the throne room of God, the temple of God, the Holy of Holies? In the Old Testament, this would have been reserved for the high priest only, and only for once a year. But we, as the royal priesthood, were getting to see that which was once closed is now wide open and available. We get to hear through the writings of John the peals of thunder and the flashes of lightning, which this imagery would have been significant in the Old Testament of God's presence and activity. 
This isn't just sound and noise and these natural things of phenomenons happening. It's to point us to God at work. And the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred thing in all of the earth. Why? Because it contained the presence of God. And it is no coincidence that this is what John sees before he begins to see the presence of God no longer contained in a golden box, but now in the womb of a woman. And so we have three characters in Revelation 12. We have a woman, we have a dragon, and we have a child. So let's talk about who these characters are, okay? Because they're really important. So we see a woman. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Who is this woman? Almost. This, yes, yes, we're about to get there. The woman is Israel, okay? How do we know this? When you think of how Mary was just described, does that imagery take you back to any other biblical character? There was a story of a man who had a dream of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, and they all bowed to him, the 12th star. To the reader in Israel, this would have been a clear pointing to the people of God, Israel. And then secondly, we hear the echo of the woman crying out in pain, also from the Israelites in the book of Isaiah. Specifically in Isaiah 26, 16 through 18, it says that Israel cries out as the pregnant woman approaches her time to give birth. Thus were we before you, O Yahweh. We were pregnant, we were writhed in labor. And then in chapter 66, verse 7, it says, Before she travailed, she brought forth, before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. So we see here that the woman is Israel, the people of God. Secondly, we see that the woman is Mary. She is the mother of Jesus, as Sammy said. Luke's gospel depicts and shows us that Mary is the representation of the remnant of Israel who would patiently await the coming of the Messiah. So this is also the literal mother of Jesus, Mary. And then lastly, the woman is the church. We see in chapter 12, verse 17, the woman's other offspring described as those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. That is the church, that is you, and that is me. So the woman is Israel, the woman is Mary, and the woman is the church. Our second character is a dragon. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Who is this dragon? The dragon is the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. We see the description that the dragon has seven heads and ten horns. The number seven and ten are numbers that symbolize completeness. So seven heads, meaning he has complete authority. Ten horns, complete strength. It's really important to know here that all of the strength and all the authority that he has is only by the will of God. Okay. He has seven crowns, which points to him being wealthy. 
and a tell that swept a third of the stars, meaning he's very influential. Authority, strength, wealth, and influence. Genesis 3 takes us back to this ancient serpent who tricks a woman. As a result of this deception that led to disobedience, sin enters the earth and a curse is brought upon mankind. And we see in Genesis 3 where it says, there will now be enmity, which also means war. Remember, we're talking about the war of all wars, the cosmic war. In Genesis 3, there will now be enmity between her and the serpent and between her seed and the serpent's seed. But one day, one of her seed, a child, a male, will come and bruise the serpent on his head. So we see a child, and it says that she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. In other translations, it also says an, a rod of iron. I want to point out, before we get into who is this child, if we haven't already landed there, <laughs> that when we, when we read about the woman and we read about the dragon, it says they are a sign. Now, a sign points beyond itself to a greater reality. Okay, The sign points beyond itself to a greater reality. And we see that the woman and the dragon are signs. They are pointing, the woman is pointing to something beyond herself. And the dragon is pointing to something beyond himself. We're not going to find a literal woman with a crown with 12 stars and clothed in the sun and standing on the moon. And we're not going to find a literal dragon who's red and has a tail that knocks out a third of the stars. But we will find a literal male child, a son. And who is this child? Jesus. He is the Messiah. The child is not a sign. The child is not pointing to a greater reality beyond himself. He is the reality. And we know that this child is Jesus because of the phrase, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This phrase comes from Psalm chapter 2, where it says, you will break them with a rod of iron, or is also translated, you will rule them with an iron scepter. And then in Psalm 23, we're taken to the rod of the shepherd. The rod of iron speaks of a strong shepherd who will rule the nations. So what is happening? Now that we have a clear understanding of our characters, a woman, a dragon, and a child, let's walk through what is happening. And let's also remember that Revelation is not a chronological order of events. Revelation is what John sees and how he sees them. And so in this passage, as we will see in all of Revelation, but specifically in Revelation 12, we're going to see flashbacks, flash forwards, present realities. Some are happening then, some are happening then. They're all happening at the same time. Like literally we're bouncing all throughout the chasm of time um, in Revelation 12. And it's a wild ride. There's a lot of explosive imagery that as I was reading and preparing for this, I was like, what how do I remember this? What does all of this mean? Um, but the imagery is intentional all throughout Revelation. The imagery is really important because it's meant to evoke something in us that simply words can't do. It's the same thing that happens when you go to an art gallery and you stand and you just look at this beautiful, whether it be portrait or a painting or a sketch, 
you stand there and you look at it and museums are some of the quietest places that you go to, right? Because you just stand there and you look at it because the picture is meant to portray something that your words never could. And that's what the book of Revelation, all of its imagery, it's not meant to freak you out or to scare you or to make you think like, am I in, am I in a crazy place? No, it's meant to evoke your imagination and to do something that just words couldn't do on their own. And so what I had to do, I'm going to show you guys a picture. I took a picture of it. I'm a visual learner. I've got to get in there. I just can't read it. This is what I did. <laughs> it was so explosive and wild for me that I'm like, I've got to do something to get my brain to absorb this, okay? So you see the woman, right? And she gives birth to a male child. So like she's clothed in the sun. She's standing on the moon. She has a crown that has 12 stars. And inside of her womb is this male baby, right? And then you see a dragon and he's got seven heads with seven crowns and he's got 10 horns and this tail that wipes out a third of the stars. And he's standing right in front of the woman, ready to devour the child. You following me here? Right? Ready to follow the child. Yeah. <laughs> right? And when we read this, what does this make you think of, right? It says in Revelation that he wanted to devour the child the moment he was born. Let's go back to Matthew. Remember when King Herod heard about the prophesied Messiah who was going to come through a woman. What did he do? He immediately begins and orders the decree that every male child, two years old and younger, would be murdered. Because he didn't want this Messiah to make it on the earth. And so what we see John is seeing here. This is the Christmas story. This is the birth of Jesus. This is the story that we tell and we sing about and we talk about in December. This is it. This is a flashback. Eugene Peterson writes this. It is St. John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of St. Matthew and St. Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness not domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus's birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. Why? Why does his birth, why is this child coming? Why does it excite evil? It's because evil knows what the birth of this child meant. So let's go back to here. The child, as we see in Revelation, is not devoured by the dragon, but is immediately snatched up to God's throne. And what we see in Revelation is the birth and the ascension of Jesus. Why? Because this was the point. He was born into the world to become king of the world. And this is very, very good news. The woman flees to the wilderness and we see that she has wings, says that she has wings like an eagle. She flees to a place that was prepared for her by God. And then a war breaks out in the heavens between Michael and the dragon, the archangel and Satan. Now, Michael is the guardian angel of God's people, Israel. So this war, this battle that's enraging, it's happening in the heavens, but it has a lot to do with you and with me. Yeah. And the dragon was not strong enough, lost his place in heaven, 
and you can see was hurled down to the earth. This is the cosmic war, the war of all wars, a war that was won in the heavens, Satan dethroned through an earthly event with a woman and a child, a war won through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And then we get to Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12. John hears a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. This question or this this chapter not only is the theological center where we see the birth of Jesus, but it really forces us to confront real questions that sit at the heart of humanity, whether you know Jesus or whether you don't. And that question is if evil has been overcome, if there's a God, Why do we still see evil at work in the world? How can we simultaneously sing as we just did and say the victory is yours, but still see injustice happening around us everywhere we look? I know you've had the question asked to you. I know you've sat with the question where you see something happening that doesn't line up with what you read here and who you know God to be. And as the people of God, we have to know what to do with the question of evil. We can't be people who, when someone asks us these genuine questions that speak to a heart cry inside of them, we can't just look at them and say, that's a mystery. I'm not so sure because scripture tells us where was the dragon sent to? He was sent to earth. He was dethroned in the heavens and sent to earth. And so we see this simultaneous victory in the heavens that was accomplished on earth. And now we see a battle that continues to rage on. Because as I said earlier, with that beautiful illustration, we're sitting right in the middle of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world and this overlap, this present reality and this future fullness, the already and the not yet. And what we also see in scripture is that the dragon knows that his time is short. He knows that he can't have the child, but you know what he can do? He can go after the woman and he can go after her descendants. He can go after the church. He can go after you and he can go after me. He can come after as the revelation tells us, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. 
And so we have to remember that the war has been won in the heavens through Jesus coming as a child, through the life, death, and resurrection. But a battle still rages on the earth because this is where the dragon has been hurled down to. And so if we know the dragon has been hurled down, how is he at work? How is the dragon at work on the earth? One, through accusation and slander. The Hebrew word for Satan means accuser. The Greek word for devil, it means slanderer. John calls the dragon the accuser of the brothers and sisters who day and night he's taking the sins of God's people and he's hurling them at God. See, see what your daughter did. See what your son did. Did you see Lauren, how she talked to that person? Did you see day and night? He's hurling accusation. And that slander and that accusation that isn't just being hurled before the throne room of God. It's being hurled at us. Where we hear the lies and the torment of the enemy that would say, oh, you did it again? I thought you had victory, but you just did it again. You should just give up because you're never going to overcome this. Should you really do this? And what does it do? It leaves the people of God covered in guilt covered covered in guilt secondly the dragon works through deception john describes the dragon as the one who leads the world astray in scripture he's called the father of lies everything not just most things not the majority of things everything the dragon does comes from being deceived and trying to deceive others. He plays games with truth. And he leads others to take that which is true and begin to question. Is that really what God meant? Did God really say that? Have we gotten it wrong? He takes truth and he makes it a game. And he plays the games in the mind and hearts of people. And then lastly, we see that the dragon works through death. We see in Revelation 12 where he is described as being the color of red. And that color signifies death. And not only is the dragon literally trying to take us out, but most often the way the dragon is working is that he's trying to ignite fear in us around death. around the threat of death, the possibility of death. Mm-hmm. And the way that it often parades itself is through our comfort. We live compromised and half-hearted followers of Jesus because is it really worth it to lose my life and suffer if I obey Jesus? Is it really worth it to live a life as a living sacrifice? And so, yeah, I'll come to church. Yeah, I'll pray and I'll read these things. But I don't want the possibility of the comforts of my life, which might not look like death here, 
that can look like an eternal death. But here's the good news. We can overcome. We can overcome. And how do we do this? It says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So how do we overcome? Yes, by the blood of the lamb. The blood of Jesus pays the penalty for our sin and it covers us literally like a shield against the accusations of the enemy. The dragon is right. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We will sin. We will fall short. He does have things to accuse us of. But the dragon is also wrong. We overcome our sin through confession and repentance and declaring the good news of the gospel to ourselves, to others, and to the principalities in the heavenly realms that are waging war. We proclaim the gospel to the dragon. Secondly, we overcome by the word of our testimony. Our testimony is rooted in the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who I am in light of him. We must be a people who are ruthless about the truth. This isn't just about big issues like murder and adultery and abortion. Pick any big cultural thing that's happening right now that's, that's big and it has these neon lights flashing at us. Those matter, but it can't be left to just those, those things. We have to be ruthless about the small things, the little places that are left unchecked that will lead us into deception and weaken our testimony. We live as a living sacrifice, fully devoted to the lamb. We proclaim truth to the dragon. And lastly, we overcome by not shrinking from death. They didn't love their life so much that they spent their days doing everything they could to protect it. Do we really believe the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, where it says to lose your life for the sake of Jesus is when you truly find it? These are not easy words, and I would never want to pretend that they are. They are costly words but they are true and they are worth it. Second Corinthians, Corinthians tells us to stand firm and gives our, give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, for it's not in vain. What we do, it's not in vain, it's not meaningless. And so what do we do? We proclaim life to the dragon by not shrinking away from death. I want to take us back to Revelation 12, 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Okay, time, times, and half a time. You'll remember we talked about this. I believe it was in chapter 8. What in the world does this mean? Remember numbers in Revelation are symbols. 
So what this has to do with is we see in Revelation 12 where it talks about 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. These are symbols in Revelation as we remember the woman is Israel and the woman is also the church. Okay, so remember these two things. And so what John is doing is he's drawing a parallel to the Israelites moving from Egypt to the promised land, which guess how long it took? 1,260 days. And this now is the symbol for the church. So it was once literal for the Israelites going from Egypt to the promised land is now a symbol for the church moving from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to his final return, where the city of God will descend. And we see that the dragon is spewing water like a river to try and overtake the woman and sweep her away with torment. These are not rivers of living water that flow from the throne room of God. These are waters spewing accusation, slander, deception, and death. But what happens? Just as the earth swallowed up the army of Pharaoh at the Red Sea, the earth swallows up the river that the dragon is spewing at the woman. And so what we see here is that we have an ally. Creation stands with us and on the side of Jesus. Our place has been prepared and we are going to be taken care of. We have to believe this. Our place has been prepared as it was for the woman in Revelation. And as she was taken care of, we will be taken care of. And so do victory and injustice, do they sit together? Yes. Can we sing the victory is yours and still see evil at work? Yes. Is it beautiful and is it brutal? all at the same time. Yes. Why? We live in both the present reality and a future fullness. A present reality and a future fullness of heaven and of hell. We live in the already not yet. We live where an event on earth brought a victory in heaven. A child was born who is now king and savior of the world, but we await. We await the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, the city of God. And guess what? This is our place as the church. This is right where we belong. We're right in the middle of the war that's being raged on this earth by the dragon who has been dethroned we are in the middle of the beautiful and the brutal. We are in the middle of victory in the heavens and evil on the earth. And we proclaim the kingdom has come. We push back the darkness as we overcome by the word of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and by standing firm, not shrinking in fear of death. We know the end but I don't think we often live like it. If we knew at the end of our life that we were going to die as millionaires, 
and we were encountering, encountering financial struggle today, what would that do for our struggle in this present moment right now? Where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will die a millionaire. What would it do to that struggle? And I think so often we live in our days completely oblivious that we know the end. We know the end, and if we know the end, it has to affect our present reality today. It has to affect our beautiful, and it has to affect our brutal places. The dragon can't get the child, but he's after the woman. He's after you, and he's after me, and he knows his days are short. Daryl Johnson says this. It is time that we stop looking at the sufferings of the church and the world as a sign of Satan's victory. It is the sign of the realization of his defeat. It is time that we stop looking at the sufferings of the church, the sufferings that you experience and the sufferings that I experience as a sign of Satan's victory. It is the sign of the realization of his defeat. And as the church, we must be able to answer the questions of good and evil, victory and injustice with humility and with authority. We have to be a people who know how to sit in the middle of our own broken and brutal places and our own beautiful and victorious places. And we have to know how to overcome. And we must know how to sit in the middle of others' broken and brutal places and beautiful and victorious places and encourage them to know how to overcome. We have to know how to sit in this middle place. The middle place is our place of belonging as the church. It is the place where there will be most tension, most... um, most feelings of wanting to eject, mm-hmm. eject, eject, abort, get out, yeah. move to the right, move to the left. Mm-hmm. But we, as the people of God, we sit in the middle mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. There is a woman and there's a dragon and there is a child. And when we have a right theology, a right understanding of these characters, we will see renewal unleashed on the earth. Not we can hope, we will. We will see the spiritual realities of injustice. We will come to see and know Jesus' righteousness that sets everything right. And we will step into our call as peacemakers. This is the way of the Lamb. It's the way of peace. It's the way of love. It's the way of remaining and standing sure and firm because we know how it ends. is our place so I want us to just take a moment because I know that even with the promise of knowing how it ends and knowing that the victory has been won in heaven because of Jesus we still experience hard things and every bit of our humanity wants to go but why not now Lord why not now if this is the way it's going to be just make it happen now I want to see this now. And you know that's a real human heart cry, and it's okay. And the one who can meet you in that place 
He is that child. He can meet you in your questions where it feels broken and it feels brutal and it feels like it just doesn't make sense. He can meet you in those places. And here's where I want us to reflect. Where do I need to acknowledge the work of the dragon in my life? And that really is twofold. That might be ways that you have participated with the dragon in accusation and slander and deception and fearing death. And it might be the ways that the dragon has come against you. Has he been accusing you and slandering who you are? Do you feel that torment in your mind? Do you feel deception and wrestling with truth? Do you feel this spirit of fear around death? So where have you participated with the dragon? And where has the dragon been coming against you? And know that wherever, wherever the Holy Spirit reveals to you where you sit with that, confess and repent and receive the blood of Jesus that covers you. His mercy and grace is available. And then from that place, what does it look like for you to take your rightful place, your prepared place? I think for a lot of us, it starts with remembering that we do have a rightful place and we do have a prepared place. We aren't just thrown into this chaotic, unjust, evil and broken world. Hope you figure it out. Just as the woman was given wings of an eagle, to a place that he prepared for her. It's just so beautiful that he prepared a place for her and he prepared a way for her to get there. There's been a place prepared for you and for me. And it's time for us to take that place because when we take that place, the kingdom has come will not just be something that we say. We'll see it and we'll hear it. We'll experience it. We'll feel it. We'll know it.